senses, in other words, to your physical life. You may have symptoms in your body, but yet you can still declare God's word over your life that says, by faith, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. And that would, you know, but you can quote that all day long. But if you don't, if you have not really got it in your heart to the degree to realize that God truly wants you to walk in health and healing, all you're doing is saying words. Faith is not just saying the right thing. Faith is believing the right things that also are backed up with the words that I say. It's not simply just, well, you know, I, I said everything right. I did, I did what I... It's this heart understanding that, God, you said in your word that you wanted to bless me and that you would bless me. It's this understanding in God's word that says, God, you said that you would heal me. You said that you would deliver me. You said that you would be with me. You know, there are times in my life... And in all of our lives, for that matter, that by faith, I have to quote that verse that I just quoted, which is, God, you said you would never leave me nor forsake me. But God, I kind of wonder where you're at right now, because I don't sense you. But by faith, I believe that you're always with me. It has nothing to do with my feelings or my intuitions or my thoughts. No, God told me, he gave me a promise that said, you would never leave me and you would never forsake me. Therefore, I am never alone. See, by faith, I live that way. I I make a decision based off of my faith, not off of my feelings. You know, feelings will get you in trouble. How many married folks agree with that? You say something out of feelings and all of a sudden there's repercussions. Why? Because your feelings got the best of you. And yet by faith, I mean, you know, I, I watched this happen in my parents' life. Where my mom loved my dad and just spoke the word over my dad for decades and watched him change. Why? You know, and look, we were a normal family. We had issues like everybody else. But yet I watched my parents both grow by speaking God's word over each other, over us, over our house. And it wasn't because the circumstances said things were looking great. Sometimes you have to speak God's word over a situation, over a circumstance, regardless of what it looks like. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says that uh, it says we walk by faith, not by sight. Let me say it this way. Is that we live by faith, not by what we see. If you live based off of what you see, that's what you're going to get. Because your faith isn't active in that moment. And yet we are told that we are to walk, live by faith. Every decision of every moment. It doesn't mean that we deny what is happening right now. But it does say that, hey, I have a better future ahead of me. God is going to work in my situation, in my life, and for me to bring about what he wants. And so, you know, over the last couple weeks, I've been giving you a couple definitions of of this and so because it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for you've got to have that picture that hope of what God will do for you and so you know one definition of hope would be this it's a confident expectation of good a confident expectation of good i am confident that God is good and he does only which is good so i hope i have my trust my you know in God that he's going to help me in this moment why? Because I have a confident expectation that he is good. And that because he's good, I have expectation that good things will happen in my life. 
I love this definition of faith as well. I shared this with you last week. I'm just going to kind of recap a couple of things, but I love this. As it says that faith is patience within the mystery. Faith is patient in the mystery. You know, if we're not careful, we'll make it out like living a life of faith is knowing what God is doing all the time. That couldn't be further from the truth in my experience. Most of the time, I'm going, God, I don't have a clue what you're doing. I just believe that you are doing something for me. And when I look in the rearview mirror, it's all going to make sense. But right now, it's real foggy outside. God, what are you up to? Because he doesn't always speak in the moment. But it requires steps of faith and, and acts of trust in God to say, God... This may not all make sense to me right now. And we've all had these moments. But if we're not, you know, independent on your background and how you've been, you know, like I've been around people of faith who I just believed always had the right answer. I just thought they prayed and God talked to them all the time. And then it discouraged me because I felt like, what's wrong with me? Because you always seem to know what God is doing. And I seem to never have an idea of what God's doing. I have an idea of where I believe he's taken me, but I don't know how he's doing it. But what I have found is that I don't have to know to trust. And I don't have to know how God is going to get me there for him to get me there. I just have to have faith to believe, God, you are working in me. You are preparing me for the place and for the thing that you have for me ahead. And at the end, your purpose will be accomplished in my life. You know, and so there is a bit of mystery Sometimes with God. For me, I would say most of the times. Not always. There are times that God says, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. But that's not always the way it is. Many times it's just God saying, David, I want you to take a step. But God, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't logical. And I'm very logical. You created me as logical. So why don't you deal with me in a logical manner? Because, David, I want you to live by faith. And that fights everything in me. I mean, the, the things and, and the times that the Lord has really given me specific instructions to step out in faith, these are the two characteristics. It's usually one or two of these or both. Either it's something I don't want to do, number one. I just don't want to. I'm like, God, I don't want to do that. I shared a story last week about that. Or it's something that I don't think I can do. And God is trying to Get me out of my comfort zone, trying to push me a little bit outside of what I believe I can do. Why? Because he wants me to step out in faith and watch him work through me. And the more that I make those decisions and take those steps, and they're not always big, huge things. A lot of times they're just little things. Small areas. Why? Because one little step gives you more confidence. Okay, I I took that step and God was there. And I took another step and God was there. And I took another step and God was there. Why? Because he's building you up. Why? Because he has other things for you that will require more faith, more trust. When God asks you for a big step and it's like, oh my goodness. It, it, it's going to require that. And, and so it's going to require more faith. And so faith isn't a feeling and it's not a formula. Just because something worked for somebody else one time doesn't mean you can do exactly what they did and it's going to work the same way for you. You're going to have to pray and get the wisdom of God and say, because here's what happens is that many times God will show us in a sense, the finish line, the promised land, you can call it whatever you want, but there's 
some distance between when he shows us the finish line and the finish line. Well, what do you do? That's that mystery that I was talking about, that, that middle part. Don't just say, God, I, man, I'm believing that you're going to get me to that finish line. You're going to get me to that finish line. I mean, I personally never ran a marathon. I hope I never do. It's like, what, 26 and point three miles or I don't know, 26 too many miles. And uh, that's how many miles it is. How long is it? Point two. I was close. See, 26 too many. What I tell you? How do you run a marathon, though? You got to start. You train, you prepare all these things. But just because you've trained and prepared and you show up and you're waiting for the gun to go off and. If you never take the first step, all that preparation was for nothing. So it's a step after a step after a step. Now, I do have friends who are crazy in my mind who love those types of things. And they say roughly about the 15-mile mark, your body says, I'm done. Yeah. That's a little over halfway. And your body's saying, hey, let's take the next exit, please. And to have the mental fortitude and the ability to press through that to keep going. I mean, they've proven it. And you can, I mean, I can give you lots of stories or examples of this where the human body is much more capable than we realize. Much more. We can push ourselves way beyond what we realize. Well, I believe that's true of a lot of Christians too, a lot of believers. God wants to do a lot more through you than you realize. But the only way you're going to get there is by not being dominated by your flesh. Um, you know, one of my, uh, what I call my pastoral counsel, one of the guys that I'm accountable to, his name is John Welch. And he used to be a real big biker, not like a motorcycle biker. I mean, like a bike rider. Like he'd go ride these hundred mile rides in the desert. And he went, you know, I mean, just crazy stuff. And then he went to, went and did mountain biking and, you know, all this stuff. And he was telling me one time we were talking and he was just, you know, I was just asking him some questions about biking, this and that. And he had gone to Georgia and he had climbed like, I forgot, it was like a two day ride, but it was, he'd climbed some, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was like 12,000 feet in elevation in two days. But it was, he had to go up a peak and down a peak, up a peak, down, all this stuff. And, um, and he was talking about, and I don't remember, it was like a 100-mile mountain bike ride, which, again, is crazy. Like, you've got to be half something clicking right up there. But um, he loved it. And he told me, though, one time he was talking about how that he was going up this incline, which was really steep, and he's pedaling his bike, and he's, you know, and he trained all the time. I mean, he went and rode 20 miles for the fun of it, like just like in an hour on a bike. He's flying, you know, just, you know, just he's just in great shape. But he was talking about even though he had all of that training and all of that preparation on that incline, it was day two and he's tired. And he's pedaling, man. He's got his bike all geared right and all this stuff. And his legs, he said it felt like they were on fire, just shaking. And he's pedaling. He said everything in me just said stop. You know, it was like this mental warfare moment. And finally, he said he looked down at his legs and just said, shut up. Just out of frustration almost. And he kept peddling. And he kept peddling and he kept peddling. Well, what did he do in that moment? He didn't allow his circumstances or even his feelings or even what his body was telling him to stop him from what? The thing that he had set out to do. See, 
as believers, we can do much more than we probably realize. And it's not until we're pressed that we realize, oh, I'm a lot stronger than I realized. I mean, what does the Bible say about us? Is that greater is he on the inside of us than anything that can come against us? That's one of the promises that we have from Scripture. So faith isn't a feeling. It's not a formula. It is a de- it's a repeated choice. It's something that I choose daily. I don't decide on Sunday morning that oh, I'm going to live a life of faith and then tomorrow not have to make that same choice. I'm going to have to make that same decision every day and every moment and every choice that I make. It's a decision. Last week I was sharing with you this is that the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Anytime that you're certain that you know what's happening, God's probably not there. Because God always asks us to step into the unknown. He just does it. It's just part of his nature. Because it keeps us in a place of believing him. And so this morning, what I really want to get into, I've been trying for three weeks to get here, so we're getting here. And uh, I guess this is the third week, so I've been trying for two weeks to get here. But we're going to start in Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at an example of Abraham. And the Bible says is that he was the father of faith. And the Bible even goes on to say that it was accounted as unto him as to righteousness. We'll read that here in just a moment. Is that his belief that God would work for him, God said, that pleases me. And so... You know, there's a, we're going to read several uh, passages, if you will, but I just want to show you what faith actually looks like. I believe this is one of the clearest pictures that we can see. So starting in Romans chapter 4, let me get over to the right translation here. I'll read this out of the New Living Translation, but starting in verse 16, kind of picking up mid-thought, but go back and read chapter 4 later if you choose to. Um, starting in verse 16. But it says that the promise is received by faith. Now he's talking about a promise that was made to Abraham, which is that God would bless his seed and that he would have children numerous, many, many, many kids. He said, through through your lineage, I will bless the earth. And so, but even in this, now it's interesting to realize this, is that just because God loves you doesn't mean that you get everything that God has for you. Love doesn't automatically mean that. Just because somebody doesn't walk in the blessings of God in in fullness that God wants for them doesn't mean they're any less loved. But there are some promises, and exactly what it says is the promise is received by faith. It says it is given as a free gift. Well, if it's a free gift, why do I have to believe for it? It's just a thought. Because God wants us to activate our faith. He says, we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. He says, if you have faith like Abraham's for father, or for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means uh, when God told him, I've made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Now that's good news for us. Now, we'll, we'll talk about exactly what all this is talking about here in the next few minutes. But, you know, Abraham was given a promise that he would have an heir. God called him blessed, and he, his response to God was, How can I be blessed when I have no one to give my estate, no one to give my life to, there, that I don't have a son in which to bless, to carry on my lineage? And God says, I promise you, you will have an heir. Now, Abraham was older at this time. 
And yet we see some understanding here. And so it says that Abraham believed in God who would even bring the dead back to life, which this is good news. You may be believing God in a situation that you believe is good and dead, like it's over. Well, God can bring the dead back to life, and he can also create something out of nothing. He's done it before in creation. Go look in Hebrews 11.3. It says that God established the world. He framed the world with his words. He brought something out of nothing. God is still the God who can bring something out of nothing. He can, even to the point of it, he has to resurrect the dead. Now, let me give you an example of this uh, scripturally. Many of you know this, but the story of Lazarus. Lazarus, he was dead, right? I don't think there's any debate. He dies and Jesus says, I'll be there when I get there. And he even said, Jesus himself made the statement, says, this will not end in death, but will bring glory to God. Now, by the time Jesus gets there three days later, they've already embalmed him, wrapped him up, put him to the point when Jesus says, hey, roll the stone away. They said, uh, you don't want to do that. By now, he's going to smell. <laughs> Actually, I believe they said he's going to stink. Like Jesus, this is. And yet Jesus totally ignores them. See, what was perceived to be a, a finalized moment, Jesus stepped into and changed the whole thing. What was perceived to be dead, Jesus brought back to life. So just because you may be in an area where you feel like, man, there's no hope. There's always hope. Why? Because we serve a God who does the impossible. We serve a God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, and possibly even imagine. See, we limit God by our ability to have hope in him, to, to, uh, to have that, that belief that God would work on our behalf. Abraham, in verse 18, it says, even when there was no reason for hope, all hope was gone. One translation says it this way, is that um, having considered his situation, Abraham considered not to consider it. In other words, he says, man, the more I look at it, the more depressed I get. So I'm just not going to look at my situation anymore. But I do count the one who promised me as faithful. So even though that there was no hope. I mean, I, I believe that when, if I, from memory, I believe this is right. But if I'm not mistaken, when God, or when the angel showed up to Sarah to tell her she would conceive a child, I believe she laughed. And said, not me. And he said, oh, absolutely you. This thing will come to pass. Why? Because there was no hope. Even to the point of while they were believing for God to fulfill his promise, Sarah gets impatient and says, Abraham, take my maidservant and go have you a child. Because obviously I'm not the one. Why? Because there was that, that hope had been lost. And yet, it says here that even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at the age of 100 years old, he figured his body as good as dead. Abraham assesses his situation and says, I'm no good. I can't do this, God. I know, I, I believe that you're faithful. I believe that you'll fulfill your promise. But looking at my circumstance, looking at my situation, I'm a lost cause. 
See, some of you have written yourself off, but God has not written you off. You say, well, I can't do this and I can't do, you know, or whatever it may be. Even, hey, I've messed up too much. So I I can't do those things that used to be in my heart. Says who? Did God stop writing your story? Or is he still writing it? So you have to be able to press beyond your own self-doubt. Even if for no other reason to say, God, I can't do this, but I believe that you want to do this through me. That's the best place you could be. Why? Because you're completely dependent upon God. You're not confident in yourself at all. It says that Abraham did not weaken, even though at the age of 100 years old, he figured his body as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. I mean, at their age, it's... Kind of common sense, isn't it? And yet it says in verse 20, it says that Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Now, it doesn't mean that he didn't have doubts. It doesn't mean, you know, I mean, we read that and it makes it sound like, oh, he's the man of faith and power. You know, I mean, he's just this giant of faith. But if he had faith, why would he have slept with his wife's maid to have a child? He could have said no. I mean, think about this. Abraham is called the father of faith, and yet he lied about his wife to some men because he thought they would hurt him. And so he's like, mm, no, she's my sister. <laughs> so this great man of faith may not be the man of faith that we have pictured sometimes. He was still human and still dealt with fear and still dealt with anxiety, still dealt with things. And yet here it says that he never wavered in believing God's promise. Even though he had doubts, he didn't doubt the one who had promised says, in fact, his faith grew stronger. says, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. He was fully convinced that's hope. He was fully convinced that what God said he would do. He was fully convinced. There, there wasn't an alternative. God was going to show up and God was going to do what he said he would do. says in verse 22, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him. As righteous. Now, you know, ultimately, we're going to skip forward because ultimately what happens is that Abraham has his promise. He gets his promised son. His name is Isaac. He got the thing that he had been believing for and and the Lord had promised. and, And by faith, he had actually seen his promise come to pass. But then something happens in time. We're not quite sure why. But I want to show you what faith looks like. Because it's one thing when God gives you a promise and then you obtain the promise. But what happens when God asks for that promise back? That's an interesting place to be. Give you an example of this. Maybe you've believed God to be blessed financially. And so you get to that place and then God comes knocking and says, hey, I need you to sow a seed. And you're like, hold up. (laughs) wait a second you said you would bless me and God said I blessed you with a purpose though I didn't just bless you so you could have any and everything you wanted so now I'm asking you for the blessing in return sometimes those God does that he blesses us but he always has a purpose behind it now it is for our good it is for our blessing but God always has 
a purpose behind it. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read an account here, and, and I, but I want you to see what this looks like, practically speaking. Genesis chapter 22, it says, we're going to pick up in verse 1, we're going to read several verses here together. It says that after some time, God tested Abraham's faith, and he called him Abraham. He says, yes, here I am. He says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, God, this is, are you like schizo? Because you said that you were going to bless me through this son, this son Isaac of mine. Let me take Ishmael. He was a mistake. Let me just finish that mistake. I mean, you know... I. That was my attempt, and Lord, I realized I was wrong. Let me repent and show my repentance with a sacrifice. You know, let me solve this problem. There's no negotiation. Why? Because Abraham loved Isaac. I'm not saying that he didn't have feelings for Ishmael, but it was different. Ishmael wasn't the promise. Isaac was. So it says in verse 3 that the next morning... Abraham got up early. It says he saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. It says then he chopped wood for the fire for the burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. It says on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he says to his servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come back. Now, what did God say? God said, go and put your son on an altar. Is that not what he said? God's instructions were, sacrifice your son, the one that you love. And yet, faith says, me and the boy are coming back. I know what God said. Now, I'm going to show you here in a few minutes of why Abraham said that, made that statement. But even in that moment, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but... When God stirs something in my heart, especially when it's in the area of believing him for something, give it a couple days. I've had some inner dialogue going on. And in the course of a three-day journey, what was going through Abraham's mind? I mean, how many thoughts, how many things was he going through? And yet here, he makes the statement that says, hey, you guys stay here. Me and the boy are going to go worship, but we'll come back. It says in verse 6, So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's uh, shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them walked together, Isaac, understanding what they're going to do, asked the question. He says, We have fire and the wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Dad, you said we're going up to, to sacrifice to the Lord, but we're missing an ingredient. I know you're older, but we, we need a sheep. Verse 8. Abraham responds and says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And they walked on together. It says, when they were arrived at the place where God uh, had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac, or tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. See, we read this story and we say, well, Abraham's this great man of faith. Isaac laid down on the altar. 
Now, we don't know the dialogue that's going on, but Isaac got on the altar. How much faith did he have to have? I mean, I don't know what they talked about or what Abraham had told him or what, but I mean, I love my dad, but if he told me to get on an altar and he's holding a big old knife, no, sir, you, you got to catch me, which you ain't going to do. So Abraham had to have, I mean, I'm sorry, Isaac had to have some faith as well. And we don't know what all he knew, but. Because he, he knew how this story ends. He had seen it. So he ties Isaac to the altar and then Abraham picks up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And it says, at this moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, here I am, Abraham replies. And the angel says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your own son, your only son. Why couldn't the angel have showed up before? Like they built the altar, Isaac gets up there. Why did he have to wait for that moment for Abraham to get in position to do the thing that the Lord had told him? Because God wanted to know that he was more important than the promise. See, so many times we pursue what we believe God wants for us at the expense and the desire of actually wanting him. See, our first and foremost responsibility is to know God. That he is the priority above all else. And, and God wants to know from Abraham, do you want your promise more than me? See, and I believe that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Because life is not about seeing how blessed we can become so that when we stand before God, we can say, look at all the stuff you blessed me with. Don't you love me? It's not what the Bible says. He says, hey, do I know you? That's what counts. And God is wanting to find out about Abraham, really, where is his heart? Where is his motives? In verse 13, it says, Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram that was caught by its thorns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it on the burnt offering in a place, or in place of his son. It says, Abraham named the place uh, Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide other people. Some more familiar name would be Jehovah Jireh. Um, I don't know why this translation says it that way, but it does. Uh, and it says, And to this day, people still use uh, that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. It says, Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. It says, This is what the Lord says. Um, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and in the sand on the seashore. It says your descendants will conquer the cities of your enemies. And through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. Now the promise that was just declared there to Abraham had been given to him previously. But the promise was not automatic without faith. It took faith, I mean, just as it says here in Romans chapter 4, it says the promise is received by faith. Even though the promise is a free gift, it's acquired, it is obtained through faith. And just as it was with Abraham is that 
even what God had promised him could have been nullified had Abraham not walked out in faith before God what God was requiring of him. See, God doesn't make suggestions. He gives instructions. Do this. Do this. This is what I want you to do. And sometimes, just like it happened here with Abraham, God will ask you for something that looks really good. Circumstances are great. Situations are great. And he's saying, but I'm asking you to take a step of faith into the unknown, into uncertainty. Because in the uncertainty is where I actually show God and display it and really where I find out my own motives. Because it's an act of obedience. It's actually truly an act of God. I am not my own, but I am yours. Walking in faith, living out in faith. Now over in the second part of Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us a little picture into this moment as well. Starting in verse 17, it says, It was by faith that Abraham offered up Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Now, let me just make a statement here because I know sometimes that word can throw people. It's like, well, God doesn't test you. Well, sure he does. Sure he does. But there's a purpose in the test, which is this, is that God tests you to approve you. God tests you to promote you. God doesn't test you to fail. And so people get hung up on that sometimes like, oh, well, God wouldn't do that. Well, then how do we grow? I mean, you know, the way, you know, the way education is supposed to work is you have to pass a test to move forward in a grade. Well, how do we know where our faith really, you know, you can claim to have all the faith in the world, but if it's never tested, how do you know? Now, God doesn't use evil, bad things to test us. God doesn't, you know, bring sickness and say, well, let's see if you have faith to be healed. That's not the nature of the character of God. He is good. I mean, Jesus even made the statement about the Father who said, look, if you being natural know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your heavenly Father if your kid comes and asks you for something to eat, you're not going to give him a snake. Say, go out in the yard and have some fun. No. We want to do good things for even our natural... Well, how much more does our Heavenly Father, who is pure, absolute love, who is pure and absolute goodness... We still live in a world that is under a curse. Now, the Bible says we've been redeemed from the curse. Well, how do we get redeemed from the curse? By faith. But there is still a curse on this earth that has not been changed. Just because Jesus came and salvation became available, we still face life and life comes. But we don't handle it the way the world does. We handle it from the place of faith. And by faith, we are looking at God's promises and saying, God, I understand that this might be what my circumstances say in this moment, but your promises say something different to me. And I determine and I make the choice to believe your promises over my present reality. Verse 17 here of Hebrews 11, it says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Verse 19, important verse. It says, Abraham reasoned. 
So remember, three days riding on a donkey, a lot of time to think. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, that God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Abraham, for three days, was thinking, even if Isaac dies, God is faithful to his promise. God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't have to know how. Knowledge is not the prerequisite for faith or obedience. It takes faith to be obedience. There's mystery sometimes in obedience where it's like, God, I don't know what you're up to. But I just know that this is the next step that you've asked me for. And I don't know what, the, what step two is after step one, but I'm going to take step one first. And when I get to step one, you're going to show me step two, and then you'll show me step three, and then you'll show me step four. And before I know it, I'm going to be at the place that you promised. But it's just step-by-step obedience. And yet here it says that Abraham had reasoned that even if Isaac was sacrificed, that God would be faithful to his promise, that he would have to bring him back to life. Now this is a very extreme example. And yet Abraham had so much faith that says, God, even if I act in obedience, I know that you're committed to your word to me. You're committed to your promise to me. That even in this moment that you would bring him back to life. Now there, there is massive spiritual significance to this act. Because what Abraham did in laying down his one and only son is a type and a shadow of Christ. It wasn't just about Abraham. It's actually about me and you. Why? Because Abraham was willing to lay down his life or to lay down Isaac's life. It actually enabled God to send Jesus. Let me say it this way. It opened the door for God to legally operate in the earth through Jesus. I don't have time to get into all that, but God is a legal God, and God had given dominion to Adam and Eve. They gave it to, to Satan. Well, how was God going to have a legal right for Christ to come? Because Satan could have said, hey, you're trespassing. This is my property. This is my world now. But because of Abraham's act of faith, it actually, <clears throat> it actually opened the door for Christ to ultimately come. It's a type and a shadow in the Old Testament of what Christ would do. I mean, think about it. If that's true, Isaac willingly laid on that altar. Why? Because Christ willingly hung on that cross. It was by faith that Christ hung on the cross for us. I mean, the psalmist wrote prophetically concerning the Messiah. He said that you will not leave my soul to rot in hell. I mean, even the fact of Jesus hanging on the cross, paying the price for our sins, was an act of faith. Trusting that God would raise him from the dead. I mean, God's never asked me to lay down my life. He's never asked me to do anything to this degree. And yet we see the significance of of Abraham's decision impacts us today. Let me say it this way, is that your decisions to act in faith and to live a life of faith not only affect you, they affect many other people as well. And when we have that understanding of, God, why are you asking me? I mean, just practically speaking, why did God ask me to move to El Dorado? Because you needed a pastor. 
So my decision to step out in faith and to trust God actually affects you as well. Well, you make those same kind of decisions. They may not be to pack up and move somewhere, but, it, but God will challenge you in areas and ask you to step out in areas of faith. Why? Because it doesn't just affect you. It has a much further reaching impact than what we perceive in the moment. Abraham did not realize in the moment when God asked for Isaac that it ultimately was going to provide salvation to the rest of the world. He just knew in the moment God had asked him for the promise, and yet God had a bigger plan and a bigger picture in mind than Abraham was even aware of. Abraham was quite natural about it. He thought, man, I'm going to have a son and I'm going to have a lineage, and that was hugely important. I mean, it was considered a curse to not have a son in their culture. Why? Because there was no lineage to be handed down. So that was the predominantly what, where Abraham was thinking it, yet God was thinking on a much higher plane. Something that would affect all of eternity. Something that affects us to, even to this day. Thousands of years later. Your decisions of faith are more weighty than you realize. So don't minimize what you may even perceive as small little things. For those of you who are parents, I watched my parents live out faith for 20 plus years. And I lived differently, not because I saw them succeed, but because I watched them walk. I saw their victories, I saw the failures, I saw it all. But because of how they lived and because they didn't quit, it put something in me. Paul told Timothy, he says, look, he said, the spirit of faith that was in your grandmother and in your mother, I'm convinced it's also in you. Faith as a, as a lifestyle, as an approach, if you will, to life can be passed down from generation to generation. It, it can be. But it's got to be who we are. It's not just looking at my circumstances and saying, well, the, I mean, whether the glass is half empty or Half full is irrelevant. I believe God is working. That's the life that we're called to live. That's who we're called to be. It's people who would live in faith, act in faith, and that we would see and watch God work on our behalf. Now, I've read this verse each week in closing, and I want to read it again just because I like it. And it's good. It's the Bible. Now, the context of this is, and I think I've said this pretty much every week, you can go read this. this is one of the Ephesians prayers. It's the end of it. But it's really talking about how much we're loved by God. And at the end here, it says in verse 19, I'm reading this out of the New King James Version. Oh, wait, sorry. Verse 20. Sorry, Scott. It's verse 20 and 21. I wrote it down wrong. It says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and think according to to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church. By Christ to all generations forever and ever. Now unto him who is able. Now unto him who is able. You know every week. I've been, why, why do we live a, a life of faith? Because it brings glory to God. Our life is ultimately for that purpose. Our life is not for us. It's not about us. It's not about what we want. Now, God will bless us in the process. But ultimately, He wants us to bring glory to Him, to bring honor to Him. It says, 
now unto him who is able. See, some of you need to know that, is that God is able to work in your situation and in your moment right now. Whatever your challenge is, God is able. Not only is he able, but he's also willing. Now unto him who is able. God will you. Yes. Yes, I will work for you. Yes, I will bless you. Yes, I will heal you. Yes, I will deliver you. No, this story is not done. No, it's not over. I will work and bring about my purpose, His purpose in your life. Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask think, ask or think, according to His power that works within us. Ultimately, living a life of faith is that right there. It's God's power working within us. It's the help of the Holy Spirit saying, just believe God. He's faithful. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep standing. Keep declaring. Keep believing God. Keep standing on the word of God. Why? Because it's God's power at work within you. And in the end of of what's maybe in this moment will be a moment where you can stand and declare the goodness and the faithfulness of God to others. That's bringing glory back to God. Living this life is an all-the-time thing. It's not just an occasional here and there decision. Every day I have to choose. Am I going to let my situations tell me my reality? Or am I going to let God's Word tell me what my reality is? I don't deny those situations. What I do deny is their ability to tell me how to live. Because circumstances will tell you how to live if you allow them to. Your circumstances will tell you, well, you're just always, you're never going to have enough. Well, no, my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches, not mine, not my ability, according to his riches. The Bible says that he created me to be the head and not the tail above and not beneath. That I could walk in victory in my life. And you can do the same in your life. But there's got to be this dependency upon the Lord, upon His power at work within us. And that is found and produced through the faith, through the trust in God's Word that God, you are working for me because you are able and you're willing. Look, you may not be facing anything in your life right now and you're like, oh, that's good preaching. Trouble will come. It's just a matter of how do you respond to it. See, you don't want to react when troubles come. Because when you react, it's probably the wrong thing. You want to respond. What's the difference? Reacting is just a knee-jerk reaction. Responding is a thoughtful response. Lord, I thank you that you're faithful in this moment to me. God, you're faithful. God, I, I may not even sense you in this moment, but I believe that you're with me and that you're working. Father, even in this situation that doesn't feel good at all, I believe that you're going to turn it about for my good. What the enemy has meant to destroy me, that you're going to use to restore me. See, God's a restoring God. He brings back those things that the devil intended to steal, destroy, to to take away from us. God says, no, I'm going to bring it back. But not only am I going to bring it back, I'm going to bring it back multiplied. That's the nature and the character of, of our Father. So be encouraged this morning. God is on your side. God is working for you. Just as the psalmist said, we can declare. 
Surely God's goodness and mercy, that will follow us all the days of our life. And that's our declaration. That's what we can say. Why? Because we have a good Father who loves us. And when we walk in faith and we live according to the Word of God, that's the life we get to live. It's not of ourself, not in our own strength, but it's, God, you're working for me. I, I trust you. I believe you. That's the life of faith that we're called to. And that when we live that life, that's when we get to see God work. And we get to, as I said earlier, you'll look back in the rearview mirror and you're going to see where God worked. Be a thread through your whole life. Where God worked continually, time after time after time after time. Even in those times where you're going, God, where are you? He's right there. He hadn't left you.